0: It seems that the word people keep using to describe the pandemic we're in the midst of is unprecedented. This is unprecedented, we keep hearing. And it is unprecedented in one sense. We've never experienced anything quite like this. But the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And you don't have to look far in history to see examples of people in similar situations. When I'm feeling the stress of being locked up in my home, I remember some more extreme social distancers, the Chilean miners. Many of you will remember the 2010 Chilean mining accident that trapped 33 miners 700 meters underground for an incredible 69 days. They faced radical social distancing. They were in an extended quarantine. Nobody knew that help was coming until it came. Nobody knew that the rescue could succeed until it succeeded. There were probably some pessimists in the group that thought all was lost. There were probably some optimists in the group that figured they'd be rescued in a day or two. But ultimately, they made a long-term plan, rationed their food, and prayed to God. University of Santiago psychologist Sergio Gonzalez described them like this. Before being heroes, they were victims. These people who are coming out of the bottom of the mine are different people. I think there's a sense in which we're all Chilean miners. We're caught in a situation that we weren't expecting and we weren't prepared for. Hope is on the way, but we don't really know when. And when we emerge from the, from the mine, there will probably be some that emerges as different people. Some will be scarred by the experience, while others will be purified by it. The difference really rests on what we do in the mine. And so today I want to talk to you about a psalm for trapped minors. For me, it's an incredibly relevant description of the warning signs to look for when you're facing isolation as we are, as well as some practical steps we can take to cope with quarantine. At this point, if you want to hit pause, grab a Bible, it'll help as I uh, walk through Psalm 42. Let me begin. Uh, I'll read... Psalm 42, from verses 1 to 11. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Since COVID-19 hit Canada, you've probably been more attuned to your health than usual. A cough is no longer a cough. A dry throat is no longer a dry throat. These are physical symptoms that we're carefully watching for. They're warning signals for us that we need treatment. Well, this Psalm gives us a number of spiritual symptoms to watch out for. It gives warning signs for trapped minors. Now, the heading on the psalm tells us that it was written by one of the sons of Korah. They were the temple musicians and worship leaders of their day. But this particular worship leader is feeling spiritually dry. In verse 1, he compares himself to a thirsty deer, a deer who's panting for flowing streams. It's a picture of drought, and the deer is dehydrated and weak. The deer's dying of thirst. The worship leader had the same feeling of dryness, but it's a spiritual dryness. He's thirsty for God. He's experienced God's refreshment in the past, and he yearns for it now. And like the deer, the dehydration feels like it could be fatal. In verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night. The emptiness interrupts his meals. His appetite is gone. He's not sleeping properly either. The sadness doesn't seem to lift and it's not until verse 4 that we can see what's causing all this pain he says there these things i remember as i pour out my soul how i would go with the throng lead them in procession to the house of god with glad shouts and songs of praise a multitude keeping festival he's not trapped in a chilean mine he's a worship leader who can't worship He reminisces about the gathering of God's people like some people would get nostalgic about their high school prom or an unforgettable vacation. Not being able to gather with God's people is literally killing him, though. Now, we can't gather together for worship because of social distancing. But according to verse 6, this worship leader can't gather with God's people because he's living in exile north of Uh, north of Israel, in uh, the area near Hermon, Mount Mizar. He's far from Jerusalem, and the temple worship is on hold. Not being able to gather with God's people for worship is spiritually dangerous. It makes us vulnerable. It can lead to spiritual dehydration. And in his case, it's made even worse because the people around him mock his faith. In verse 3, he says, They say to me all the day long, Where is your God? They're constantly undermining his beliefs and it just makes him feel even more alone. By the time you get down to verse 10, he's repeating the fact that they keep asking him all day long, where is your God? But here he compares it to a deadly wound in my bones. Feels like gangrene has set in. It aches like a festering sore. And it's all the more dangerous because He's isolated from other believers. In verse 9, the accusations from the outside have now gotten inside. They're in his head, they're in his heart. After hearing one too many people ask him, where is your God? He's begun to ask God in verse 9, why have you forgotten me? Finally, in verse 7, that image of God as a refreshing stream of water has now turned into A threatening torrent of water there he says all your breakers and your waves have gone over me it feels as if God is drowning him now it feels like God's against him not for him Now, are any of you thinking what's gotten over this guy like God is everywhere you don't have to go to church it's it's a relationship it's not a religion it's personal it's you and Jesus Today, people think that you can be spiritual without bothering with corporate worship. But the Bible presents things differently. Being cut off from fellowship and worship with other believers, it's dangerous. And so we ought to watch for signs of spiritual emptiness. We need to watch what it's doing to our sleep and our eating patterns. We need to gauge whether the spiritual opposition we face on the outside is working its way to the inside. And we need to watch what it's doing to our attitude towards God. I know it's only been three weeks so far, not a long time, but I feel the distance from, from everyone. And I know that that sense of isolation grows with time. In the early months when I moved to Japan, it was painful not being able to worship as as I would. You couldn't serve. I I didn't know, uh, I understand the sermon. I, I wasn't able to talk adequately with other Christians. And as you go through that over a period of time, if you're not careful, it can take a spiritual toll on you. You become dry and dehydrated. And if you don't have spiritual support around you, it's even more dangerous. Now, this may be a crazy example, and don't get me wrong, not freaking out or anything, but it was a very strange feeling to hear the announcement from the premier of Ontario on Tuesday declaring that church was a non-essential service. I, I get it. it. I wasn't challenging the order. We closed our church church office, nothing to worry about. But it was just hard to hear the highest political officer in our province calling church non-essential while calling beer stores and marijuana shops essential. More than the order, the symbolism of it affected me. And I'm probably sensitive because I feel like the world is always sending that message. And you hear that enough times from enough people without anything to counteract it, and it can start to work inside your heart. Before long, you're telling yourself, maybe God isn't that essential. Maybe he's not as important as I thought. That's what we need to watch out for while we're in this time of isolation. We need to be careful that we don't come out of this Chilean mine of social distancing and find that we've lost something in our faith, that we've changed for the worse. Thankfully, this Psalm doesn't just give us warnings though. It offers hope for our quarantine. It gives us specific ways that we can cope The first thing it encourages us to do is to invite God into our struggles. Sometimes we only like to tell God the things we think he wants to hear, but God can handle more honesty than that. Invite God into your struggles. As the social distancing begins to drag on and has you feeling like you're in a Chilean mine, don't bottle up your questions. God invites us to ask them. Here in verse two, the psalmist asks, When shall I come and appear before God? In verse 9, he asks, why have you forgotten me? And why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? How long is this going to ask? Why is this happening? What are you doing? When you ask those questions in humility to God with an open Bible and let him speak to you from his word, he changes us. God doesn't answer all of our questions right away, but it's healthy to be open about them with him. But we don't just need to be honest with God about our questions. We also need to be honest with him about our pain. What's really going on inside? Telling God how you really feel invites him into your struggles. Watch how the psalmist does this. In verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night. Then he tells God about the people who have been asking, where is your God? And in verse 10, he tells them, it's like a deadly wound in his bones. God wants us to share with him like that. And I hate to say this, but if you're wondering, why would that be important? Then you're probably a guy. Ask your wife what it feels like when you just silently brood about some problem in your life without explaining it to her. She wants to be let in. And God wants us to let him in, to invite him into our struggles. He wants a relationship with us that's real and personal. But don't just invite God into your struggles. Invite him into your memories. When you're trapped in a Chilean mind, that can be all that you think of. But we need to intentionally take our mind somewhere else for perspective. We need to invite God into our memories. The worship leader is exiled in a foreign land. He can't worship God the way he used to. He can't meet with other believers. And so he remembers when he could. In verse 4 he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival." He comforts himself with the pleasant memories of his best times with God. And we're encouraged to do the same thing. While we can't meet for worship as a church, I've been remembering some of the things that are so precious to me about gathering with God's people. And we're all gonna need to do more of that as this period continues. But that's not the only way that the psalmist engages his memories. Watch how he intentionally, how intentionally he prays in verse six. He says, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. And he's not just remembering God in a general sense. In verse 8, he's remembering the things that God has done, not just what he hasn't done. In one of the most grateful notes in the entire prayer, he says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He's hurting. He feels trapped. He feels isolated. He's beaten down and spiritually dry. He wonders why. He wonders how long it'll last. But he chooses to remember what God has done, not just what he hasn't. He remembers God's enduring love, his do-what-it-takes commitment to him. He remembers God's nearness in his trials. He remembers how God ministers to him with songs in the night. As he does, he hears the answer to his enemy's taunts. Where's my God? He's with me in the mine. He sits with me in the darkness. He sings with me in quarantine. He comforts me in the night. Invite God into your memories. And finally, invite God into your emotions. Our feelings can take us to strange places in the darkness of the mind if we let them. We need God's help in sorting out our emotions, dealing with them. So invite God into your emotions. Now this psalm was composed to be sung in worship and it has a chorus that gets repeated in verses five and 11. Watch how he deals with his emotions. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He, He confronts them, he questions them, it's an interrogation. Why are you in turmoil within me? See, his feelings don't align with what he believes, and so he's calling them on it. And I love this because so often, people will mock Christians for having blind faith in God, but sometimes those same people will often trust their feelings with an even blinder faith. True faith in God isn't perfect. It isn't blind, though. And it doesn't let our feelings off the hook either. In the darkness, often our feelings are just wrong, and we need to say so. Feelings need to be questioned and tested by our beliefs. And sometimes they need a sermon. And so that's where he goes next in the chorus in verses 5 and 11. He sings, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's preaching to his emotions and calling them to hope in God. He's telling himself that he's down but not out. That he's going to be back worshiping God with his people again. He's reminding his heart that God is his salvation, his rescue. He's telling himself that God is his God. We need to do that. We need to invite God into our emotions, give him charge over them, let him rule over them. Often this is difficult to do alone. Sometimes the hope just doesn't come where thorny emotions are involved. As I've called around to many people this week, some of you have told me, you're reading more scripture than ever. That's one of the things that does this. It helps us with this. Some have told me, you're memorizing scripture. You're letting God's word seep in deep enough that it impacts your emotions. And you're calling one another and lifting each other up. I had the same experience in a small group this week. Our Young Adults Life group met on Sunday night by video conference. Then on Thursday, I met virtually with a small group of pastors I fellowship with monthly. Speaking scripture and words of hope into each other's lives was life-giving. God transforms our emotions as we take time to hear him. Now, this Psalm teaches us how to cope when we're stuck in a mine. But you know that the story of the Chilean miners is not just about how they coped in a mine for an amazing 69 days. And it's also not the story of how they finally climbed out either. It's the story of how they were rescued from that mine. This Psalm tells a story of a person who thirsted for nearness with God. It expressed the pain of someone who was mocked for his faith and wondered whether God had forgotten him. It's the hope of a person who waited for God as his rock and salvation. But the New Testament tells a story of how Jesus climb down into the mine to save us. It shows how he answered this prayer and came as the hope of this this desire for salvation. Jesus thirsted on the cross. He was forsaken for our sakes. And he promised that if anyone thirsts, they would come to him and drink. He gave his very life in the rescue operation. And the tragedy is that many people ignore him and think they can dig themselves out of that mind by their own good works and sincerity. He invites us to turn to him in faith. He's the only sure way out of the mind. Now if you've trusted him, watch your heart during this time of isolation. Corporate worship is precious and we're missing it right now. Biblical fellowship is more than just a sermon and we're vulnerable when we're disconnected like this. Make opportunities to come together. Come together virtually in video chats. Go old school, pick up the phone. Invite God into your struggles. Pray about the real stuff of your heart. Invite God into your memories. Choose to remember who God is, what he's done. And invite God into your emotions. Don't listen to your feelings with blind faith. Call them to hope in God. He's your rescue. He's your salvation. He's your God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help in the mind. We need your help in this time of isolation. We pray that you would meet us, that you would be near to us, that we would be honest with you and share what's really going on in our hearts. We pray that we would think on you, reflect on all that you've done. We pray, Father, that you would come and meet us and help us to question our feelings, not just listen to them. Help us to lean on others that can be a strength and a help and help us to reach out to those who we might also encourage. Most of all, Father, we thank you for the rescue that there is in Jesus Christ. We thank you that he gave his life that we might have life. And so we pray with gladness in our hearts in Jesus' name. Now, I pray that this message has given you hope for this time of spiritual isolation. I hope it's helped you to think through some of the warning signs to look for, given you help in inviting God into your struggles, your memories, and your emotions. And if you know someone who's stuck down a mind, could use some encouragement, I pray you'd share this message with them and spread the hope that Jesus offers. And for more messages of hope, visit www.gracebc.ca. See you next time.